Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to TLS Voices, an occasional series of readings brought to you by the Times Literary Supplement. I'm Mika Ross-Southall. In November 1886, Oscar Wilde gave a lecture at the Birkbeck Literary and Scientific Institution in London and was surprised to find that some 800 people had struggled through the fog on this dreadful night to hear him speak. No doubt hearing Wilde himself was a large part of the appeal, but his subject was appealing too. He was going to speak about Thomas Chatterton, the 18th century poet who had infamously forged an alternative persona for himself as a 15th century monk called Thomas Rowley. Born in Bristol in 1752, Chatterton immersed himself in old books after learning to read from a black-letter Bible. His world centred on the church of St Mary Redcliffe, with which his family had long been associated. It was from this medieval background that the Rowley poems emerged. In 1770, Chatterton had only been living in London for a few months, writing poems and political essays for literary journals, when he took an overdose of arsenic and opium. He was only 17 years old. While some were taken in by Chatterton's Rowley forgeries, a more insidious myth took root after his death. Since it was supposed that Chatterton had committed suicide since he had struggled against critical and commercial indifference, and since he inhabited a dreamy Gothic world of his own, he was gradually adopted as an icon of thwarted romantic genius. Neglected in his lifetime, Chatterton was belatedly recognised, in the words of Wilde's contemporary Dante Gabriel Rossetti, as the true dayspring of modern romantic poetry. In the absence of a known resting place, or a known likeness drawn from life, Chatterton was also an appropriately intangible, elusive figure, as Rossetti noted in a sonnet that Wilde's otherwise assiduous biographer Richard Ellman found in Wilde's notebook for his Chatterton lecture, and mistakenly took to be written by Wilde himself. With Shakespeare's manhood at a boy's wild heart, through Hamlet's doubt to Shakespeare near allied, and kin to Milton through his Satan's pride. At death's sole door 
he stooped and craved a dart. And to the dear new bower of England's art, even to that shrine time else had deified, the unuttered heart that soared against his side, drove the fell point and smote life's seals apart. Thy nested home loves, noble Chatterton, the angel-trodden stair thy soul could trace up Redcliffe's spire, and in the world's armed space thy gallant swordplay, these, to many and one, are sweet for ever, as thy grave unknown and love dream of thy unrecorded face. The cult of Chatterton was well established by the time Rossetti wrote these words. In fact, Chatterton had inspired a poetic tradition of his own among his successors, including Keats and Shelley, as well as Henry Wallace's most famous painting, The Death of Chatterton, completed in 1856. He even has a cameo in William Wordsworth's Resolution and Independence, the main burden of which is an encounter with a leech-gatherer. I thought of Chatterton, the marvellous boy, the sleepless soul that perished in his pride, of him who walked in glory and in joy following his plough along the mountainside. By our own spirits are we deified. We poets in our youth begin in gladness, but thereof come in the end despondency. And madness. Wordsworth's friend Coleridge also found inspiration in the story of poor Chatterton and the heart-going realities of his life, and between 1790 and 1834 continually worked at a meditative monody on the death of Chatterton, of which this is an extract. Poor Chatterton, he sorrows for thy fate who would have praised and loved thee ere too late. Poor Chatterton, farewell. Of darkest hues this chaplet cast eye on thy unshaped tomb, but dare no longer on the sad theme muse, lest kindred woes persuade a kindred doom. For, oh, big gall drops, shook from folly's wing, have blackened the fair promise of my spring, and the stern fate transpierced with viewless dart the last pale hope that shivered at my heart. Hence gloomy thoughts, no more my soul shall dwell on joys that were, no more endure to weigh the shame and anguish of the evil day, wisely forgetful. O'er the ocean swell, sublime of hope, I seek the cottaged dell, where virtue calm with careless step may stray, and dancing to the moonlight rondelay, the wizard passions weave an holy spell. O Chatterton, that thou wert yet alive, sure thou wouldst spread the canvas to the gale, and love with us the tinkling team to drive o'er peaceful freedom's undivided dale, and we, at sober eve, would round thee throng, would hang enraptured on thy stately song, and greet with smiles the young-eyed poesy, all deftly masked as hoar antiquity. Wilde himself never wrote up his lecture, 
but his notebook survives and testifies to his view that, as its modern-day editors put it, it was impossible to divorce the poet's life from his work. Wilde writes, Without a full comprehension of his life, the secret of his literature is not revealed. And so, in going over the details of the life of this marvellous boy, I do so not to mar the perfect joy and loveliness of his song by any overemphasis of the tragedy of his death, but simply to enable us to understand the curious form he used and to appreciate an art that to many may seem an anachronism. Professor Nick Groom wrote the entry on Chatterton in the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography and has more recently suggested in the TLS how Chatterton became a source of inspiration for Wilde. The contents of Wilde's notebook have been taken by some critics as evidence of Wilde's plagiarism. We might instead see that he was entranced by the story of Chatterton, as he was fascinated in general terms by acts of forgery, by questions of truth and falsehood, dull, factual life and gloriously beautiful art. This makes the notebook a crucible in which, as Professor Groom puts it, Wilde explored the ideas that would shape his subsequent works and theory of the artist. For Wilde, all artistic creation is an act of forgery, and Chatterton was the founder of our Romantic school. We don't need to buy into the romantic idea of Chatterton as starving and suicidal to recognise his significance for writers and artists right up to the fin de siècle. Even while in Reading Jail, a decade after the triumph of his Chatterton lecture, Wilde was still thinking about Chatterton. He was one of the authors whose works he begged Robbie Ross to procure for him so he could read them on his release. To end, here is an extract from Wilde's essay, The Decay of Lying, where the making of beautiful, untrue things, we're told, is the proper aim of art, an ideal Chatterton would no doubt have approved of. One of the chief causes that can be assigned for the curiously commonplace character of most of the literature of our age is undoubtedly the decay of lying as an art, a science and a social pleasure. The ancient historians gave us delightful fiction in the form of fact. The modern novelist presents us with dull facts under the guise of fiction. Art begins with abstract decoration with purely imaginative and pleasurable work dealing with what is unreal and non-existent. This is the first stage. Then, life becomes fascinated with this new wonder and asks to be admitted into the charmed circle. Art takes life as part of her rough material, recreates it and refashions it in fresh forms, is absolutely indifferent to fact, invents imagines, dreams, and keeps between herself and reality the impenetrable barrier of beautiful style, of decorative or ideal treatment. The third stage is when life gets the upper hand and drives art out into the wilderness. This is the true decadence, and it is from this that we are now suffering. Lying for the sake of a monthly salary is of course well known in Fleet Street, and the profession of a political leader-writer is not without its advantages. But 
It is said to be a somewhat dull occupation, and it certainly does not lead to much beyond a kind of ostentatious obscurity. The only form of lying that is absolutely beyond reproach is lying for its own sake. And the highest development of this is, as we have already pointed out, lying in art. Just as those who do not love Plato more than truth cannot pass beyond the threshold of the academe, so those who do not love beauty more than truth never know the inmost shrine of art. The solid, stolid British intellect lies in the desert sands like the sphinx in Flaubert's marvellous tale, and fantasy la chimere dances round it and calls to it with her false flute-toned voice. It may not hear her now, but surely some day, when we are all bored to death with the commonplace character of modern fiction, it will hearken to her and try to borrow her wings. And when that day dawns, or sunset reddens, how joyous we shall all be. Facts will be regarded as discreditable, truth will be found mourning over her fetters, and romance, with her temper of wonder, will return to the land. The very aspect of the world will change to our startled eyes. Out of the sea will rise Behemoth and Leviathan and sail round the high-pooped galleys, as they do on the delightful maps of those ages when books on geography were actually readable. Dragons will wander about the waste places, and the phoenix will soar from her nest of fire into the air. We shall lay our hands upon the basilisk and see the jewel in the toad's head. Champing his gilded oats, the hippogriff will stand in our stalls, and over our heads will float the blue bird singing of beautiful and impossible things, of things that are lovely and that never happened, of things that are not and that should be. But before this comes to pass, we must cultivate the lost art of lying. You can read more about Wilde and Chatterton in this week's TLS, which also includes How North Career is Really Evolving, Retelling the Odyssey and Dance, Marilyn Robinson's Prosaic and Doctrinal Grace, Coming to Terms with Stalin as a Father, The Potted Bernard Leach in Japan, and much more. To find out more about the TLS and to read a free selection of pieces from this week's issue, go to our website, the tls.co.uk You can read the TLS in full every week in print or via our app, which is available on iTunes and in the Amazon App Store. The TLS, life in every word. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.